Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast That I May See with Miriam Boone and Cody Balfour. We have taken a bit of a hiatus this summer, but we are super excited to be back and sharing with you just the amazing things we see in God's Word. And we had a great time talking about Ezra and Nehemiah, learned a lot just from this conversation. And I know for me, it was really powerful in just being re-encouraged um, to do the work of restoration in, in my community and where God has me. And I hope it'll have that same encouragement for you guys. Enjoy. Hey, Cody. What's up? How are you doing? Doing good. Can you hear me okay? I can. Awesome. Yeah, sorry. It took me a minute to get on because I realized I had to let my dogs out to go to the bathroom. <laughs> like having uh, two extra children. <laughs> it's oh, all good. Man. How are yeah. you doing? How's the summer? Um, we're good. Yeah, it's it's we a weird feeling that school is about to start back up mm-hmm. because like it's kind of been like more than a year since we've had normal school because mm-hmm. of COVID. So I actually realized that like we got this dog over COVID. And it's been great because Sayla's just been taking care of it all the time and playing with it all the time. And it kind of hit me this week that I'm like, Sayla's about to go back to school all day. Mm. Nate's going back to work. Zion's going back to school. So have I just become the full-time companion to this extra dog? <laughs> I love so, that. It, it'll be fun. It's it's worth it for her to have a dog. But yeah. How, how are things going in Nashville? They're going well right now. Uh, the only struggle right now really is that I don't have a car. <gasps> no, uh, my car is, um, yeah, my car is, is just, it is kicked the can. Oh man. It's been in the shop so many times recently. So it's just yeah. done. Yeah. It's just, it's not worth, I mean, it's just not yeah. worth fixing. Yeah. So, so what, what's the thought? Are you going to like go out and get like, just buy something like cheap or are you going to like invest and get something like a little bit sturdier or like, yeah, I'm just going to have to, <laughs> I'm just going to have to bite the bullet and like get a car note. Right. Um, but not something too crazy. Just something that will right. last for a long time. Um, doesn't have to be brand new at all, but right. something that I right. won't break down for a while. And that you won't be just constantly shelling out money to fix it. Cause I feel like you've right. had to have fixed that thing so many times. Yes. <laughs> All the staff here are like, you remember oh, how many times you'd be like, Hey, I don't have a right to work, yeah, <laughs> or like, I'd be like, Hey, uh, Pastor Joe, can I borrow the van? <laughs> You're just driving like a van. passenger van. I really hated that you never had your car broken down when you were going out on a date because I really wanted to see you roll up and pick somebody up in the 15th passenger <laughs> van. <laughs> like, do you want to date a pastor or no? <laughs> Listen, if that's right, I should have like, if you can't handle me at my worst. Yeah, I hand up my best. That's funny. <laughs> so true. That's funny. So it's been a while. Yeah, it's, it's good to be back. Say what? I said it's good to be back. Yeah, absolutely. It's good to have you back. So we're um, we're gonna do uh, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and and kind of focus on uh, seeing wonderful things about these two books. And uh, before I hand it over to you. Miriam, I kind of just wanted to give our kind of our audience like a refresher that, you know, Ezra and Nehemiah, this these narratives are coming off of uh, First and Second Chronicles. And at the end of First and Second Chronicles, you see the, t- the deportation of Babylon. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Where uh, God's people uh, are taken captive. They're deported to um, uh, Babylon. And then one of the things it says at the very end of Second Chronicles, it says, uh, it says, he deported those who escaped from the sword of Babylon and they became servants to him and his sons until the rise of the Persian kingdom. Hmm. And so Ezra and Nehemiah pick up where these are the people of God who are no longer under the rule of Nebuchadnezzar. And Persians have kind of inherited them as slaves and servants. Hmm. And so Ezra and Nehemiah, and, and I'll let uh, Miriam kind of give you more details. But Ezra and Nehemiah are books about hope and restoration. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. After decades of judgment and despair. And one of the reasons I love that these are the themes of this book is because I think sometimes we think judgment is kind of the final, God's final say. Right. And it actually is not always the case. Like, actually, like while we're on this earth, uh, it's actually restoration is, is what um, comes right after judgment. Hmm. That's so and good. I just, I, I love that these are, you know, God pronounces judgment over and over and over again through the prophets of, you know, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah. And he says, hey, I'm going to send Babylon. They're going to, you know, that's going to be my coming judgment. But that's not right. the final thing. That's not the final word. So what, what do you think? Mm, that's yeah, that's great. I, lo- I love the way that you introduced that. I as I was um, studying these two books and rereading them, I thought of something that my sister told me. So she was in this um, seminary class. I think it was with um, doc, the Dr. Ellis. Um, probably both of them. (laughs) I'm trying to remember which one or if it was both. (laughs) Um, either or, uh, she said that they told her that Nehemiah was a book about community development. Mm. And I, that's all she shared with me. And it just, I kind of read (laughs) books through that lens and it was Mm. like, whoa, like light Mm. bulb everywhere because like, that's, you I mean, it's right what you're saying, like this work of restoration. And that's like right where I am. And like, I'm trying yeah. to figure out how do we do community development? What does it look like to step into broken spaces and like be a part of God's like restoration and healing? Right. And um, I just learned so much through reading these books through that lens. Um, and I think, you know, before we dive into that, I just want to affirm like one of the notes that I wrote in the margin of my Bible in Ezra that I think just goes right along with the way you introduce the book is I said that um, the Bible is always a story of coming home to God. Mm. That is always the end. That's always where the story is heading because like chapter two of Ezra is like, okay, these are the people who returned from captivity. Like God Mm. is always in the business of like bringing people home. Like exile Mm. is never the end of the story. And so I, right. I just think that's that's so important for us to remember. Um, another another place that I think I'm curious your thoughts on, just as we kind of think about these books, is there's this really interesting passage at the end of Ezra three, where okay. they all get back to the temple, and it says many were like shouting with joy, mm-hmm. and then many of the older priests and the Levites and the family heads who had seen the first temple wept loudly for joy and people couldn't distinguish from the shouting from the weeping. And there's these people who are seem to be like, there's joy, but there's also like this grief mixed in. 
Mm -hmm. I was just wondering what your thoughts on that that passage are. So I think that's so, so interesting. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up. Hmm. Um, because I think some, I, I don't know exactly what that means. Um, other than, uh, I think that is a description of often how you can, you can exist with people in the same society and have the different experiences. Yes, um, absolutely. Cause like, like if you, if you think about it, our, I mean, think about our history as a nation, mm -hmm. right? Our history as a nation has been one where joy and grief have come ha, have been walking together for a long time or maybe mm. not joy but but um prosperity right well i and, that immediately makes me think of um what you said makes me think of frederick Douglass's yeah. what to the slave is the fourth of july that's right and so it's like uh, for for hundreds of years in this part of the world you've had people who you have well, you've had one group of people who've been enjoying prosperity and they've been rejoicing and one group of people who've been grieving and 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 not enjoying prosperity, but have been suffering um, the underneath the boots of of destitution hmm. and, and oppression. And so, um, those are the kind of the things that come to my mind when I think about that. And also, also I think part of in the text, like these are different generations uh, together. So, like the older generation remembers what it was like to mm -hmm. to come into captivity for the first time right and then the younger generation kind of doesn't remember that their their time in babylon and Persia is kind of all they know right and so i think it's just um i think you can just see that just in life in general of of different generations appreciating different things um i mean like this mm. makes me think of like <laughs> like the time before the internet <laughs> you know like I don't know that time. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, I don't remember what that was like, but my parents do. You know? <laughs> so that reminds me of a funny conversation I had with one of my kids about uh, we're talking about uh, I think we're talking about whether whether we should get a cell phone or not. Uh -huh. And uh, by we, I mean, whether this child should get a cell phone. <laughs> and they commented you and dad just don't understand because you were born in the olden days. <laughs> and uh, bless their heart. But I was just That's like, so wow, hard. I was born in the olden days <laughs> um, to, you know, to this next generation. They're just like, yeah. you're so old. And I'm like, well, man, I want. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I, I, I kind of want to look at um, – Look at Nehemiah for a minute, because I think, you know, going going to this this idea of community development or of ministry or of like coming to a particular place and like people talk about, you know, like showing up, like, let's do the work here. And right. I think it's so interesting because Nehemiah um, has this vision that he really I mean, he has this really clear vision of what he wants to see, like restoration look like. But mm -hmm. if you notice there's a couple different times, like in Nehemiah chapter two, and I think it comes up another place where Nehemiah describes the work and the vision for the work as what my God has put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. And I just love that because I think we live in a world where there's so much like, excuse me, there's so much like 
what's your vision? What's your goals? Like have a clear yeah. idea of what you want to accomplish and like yeah. kind of just borrowing a lot from corporate America in the church. Yeah. And I think it's so important that in any type of ministry work where we're like working for the kingdom of God, it ultimately has to be like God's heart that then gets put into us. Right. And the work we're doing is like what God has put in our heart for our neighborhood, what God mm. has put in our heart for our community, um, that the work begins in God's heart, not in ours. Mm. And that has so many practical implications for the humility with which we are then able to approach the work. Because mm. if this is my work and my heart and my dreams, that sets me up for so many types of failure, so much, you know, pride, unwillingness to collaborate with others, um, like a sense of overwhelming shame or failure when the work doesn't go like I wanted it to, um, all just kinds of traps that get opened when I think of the work as being mine. But when I can like really understand that like this work comes like from God's heart mm. and then um, you have this leader who then shares it with the people. And it says in Nehemiah chapter four that the people get on board because they have a heart for the work. And That's so right. just realizing like as a leader that ultimately the heart for the work is God's and then God is going to bring other people alongside of you who share his heart, I think is just a really cool example. Absolutely. And uh one of the things I was thinking about in this narrative, because technically Ezra and Nehemiah are supposed to be like one book. Mm -hmm. you know? I was when I was reading the very beginning of Ezra, uh, just that kind of one of those first lines just really got my attention. You know, when it says God, he, he roused the spirit of King Cyrus hmm. to issue mm -hmm. a proclamation, you know, basically saying, like, if you're a Jew, you can go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And um, I was just like, man, I wish and I pray that God would rouse the spirit of our leaders to to enact mm -hmm. deep forms so and change. And, and I think it was so encouraging reading this uh, earlier because I've often been at a point where I'm like, you know, things for things for minorities um, or the downtrodden or the disenfranchised, it's, ne it's never going to get better like people are mm. And this just reminded me that that is a foolish thought. Mm. Um, That's and so true. That, and like... Cause you got to think like this, like the, when, you know, when, when, when King Cyrus basically says, you, you know, you go back to Jerusalem, you can rebuild your temple. The temple is like the center of religious life for the Jews. Right. Right. But what this signifies is this signifies the beginning of restoration for the Jews, restoration for mm -hmm. um, this place that God has built for, for, which is supposed to be a beacon for human flourishing. You know, mm -hmm. the Jewish, right. Jewish nation was supposed to be this, this epicenter of religious life, not just for them, but for the world. Um, but one of the things you see in Ezra and Nehemiah is that restoration always comes with opposition. Right. Absolutely. Right? So you see all the, you know, you, you know, I think it's in chapter four, which first of all, this is actually hilarious. I, this is like, I feel like we need to do a segment called funny moments. Because <laughs> chapter four, like it, I was like chuckling a little bit because in chapter four of Ezra, it says, you know, the enemies. Uh, of uh, the Jews and stuff like that, they come to Zerubbabel and uh, and the other leaders, and they're like, "Hey, let us build with you." And then they're the leaders are like, "No," <laughs> <laughs> they're just like, "No, we don't know. We're not letting you do that." They just kind of saw right through right um, their deceit, and they're just like, "No, 
we're not going to do that. And it just reminded me that, and, and you'll see all through the story, but you just like restoration always comes with opposition. And right. I've seen that in my life. I've seen that in Tulsa in many ways. I've mm-hmm. seen that all over the place. Uh, you see with Jesus, right. right? When Jesus is healing people, yeah. when he's teaching the kingdom of God, there's, op- there's constant opposition. And the reason is because the powers of darkness don't want to see shalom. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I read um, through Ezra and Nehemiah in the message um, and I really liked how it put some different things. So in, in Ezra mm-hmm. chapter four, it says these people started beating down the morale of the people of Judah, harassing mm-hmm. them as they built. They wow. even hired propagandists to sap their resolve. They Ooh. kept this up for about 15 years throughout the lifetime of the Cyrus King of Persia Ooh. and on into the reign of Darius. And I just read that. And I was like, wow. I like wrote the work has always had harassers. Yeah. Like you want to do this work. You are going to get in trouble. Like there are people who are going to actively oppose God's work of restoration and new creation. And we shouldn't be surprised by that. And I love how Nehemiah like describes, um, it says in Nehemiah 7, they were trying to intimidate us into quitting. They Mm. thought they'll give up. They'll never finish. And it says, I prayed, give me strength. Mm. And I think one of the things you see in Nehemiah is that prayer is the work. Like Mm -hmm. prayer is such an important part of the work. Like when they have this opposition in Nehemiah chapter four, um, people are just fighting against Jerusalem. Um, It says we countered with prayer to our God. And I just love it. Like that's the response. Like prayer is such a huge part of the work. And even prayer of confession seems to be a really big part of the work. Mm -hmm. You see that come up a lot. And I just crack up whenever I read this because there's been such an opposition in our day to confessing mm-hmm. sins that you didn't personally commit. Right. And it is literally all over the Bible. They <laughs> confess their sins and the iniquities of their parents. Like, I just do not get like people say like, well, I'm not about to apologize for slavery because I wasn't there. Well, what, what do you do with these passages in the Bible? Like, yeah, you're, you're, what you're basically saying is I'm not going to obey scripture. Yeah. Scripture commands us to do that. And, um, and, you know, in previous episodes, you know, you and I have gotten, you know, talked, we talked about generational sin and things like that. But one of the things I think is so interesting is like Ezra, the book of Ezra clearly teaches reparations. Mm-hmm. So like in, in verse four, you know, when, when King Cyrus makes this decree, he says, let every survivor, wherever he resides, be assisted by the men of that region with silver, gold, goods, and livestock, along with the free will offering for the house of God in Jerusalem. And then right. you go all the way down to verse six. It says, and all of their neighbors supported them with silver articles, gold, goods, livestock, and the livestock and valuables, in addition to all that was given as a free will offering. So like, not only... Mm-hmm. Hey, we're gonna, we're going to literally give you the resources, but we're going to compel our neighbors to do the, your, your, the community to do the same thing. Right. And, and, right. and here's here's the thing, too. You could say uh, this this text shuts down every argument against reparations because it really does. King Cyrus was a different king. He was not the king who, who took, you know, who did the Babylonian invasion. He, it's a different empire. It's a completely different time. And so, right. like, 
there's just those are usually the 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 main arguments against reparations. Well, it's like well, I didn't do it, and I wasn't there, and it was a different mm-hmm. time. This God compels them to do this. It's not like this is just one of those examples in Scripture of like the difference right. between you know prescriptive and descriptive. Like this isn't just right. describing something. The text is literally saying God put it on King Cyrus's heart to do this. Right. Right. Absolutely. What makes us different from oppressors and evil and injustice in the world is like we we have to truly allow like the justice and holiness of God to infiltrate not just our work out there to stop just injustice in the world, but like let it into our houses and our neighborhoods and our Mm -hmm. own hearts. So that we're not um, falling prey to like evil and ourselves. And I mean, to me, I think the reparations thing is a really interesting way I see this kind of come home because it's really easy to be out there in the community saying, I'm against racism. I'm against injustice. I'm working right. against this out in these spaces. But you want to try to come into my bank account yep. and say, I might personally need to change something about my life to to uh fight oppression i think it it can expose like what's actually going on at home and we can think that we are all about the work but what happens when it's you Mm -hmm. and not just the work you're doing out there yeah and what in that in that chapter that you mentioned in in Mm -hmm. nehemiah um one of the things that that passage demonstrates is that when you are without power, you are immediately vulnerable, right? So, right. you know, they say, um, we and our children are just like our countrymen and their children, yet we are subjecting our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters are already enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and vineyards belong to others. Right. And what they're saying is like, they have no bargaining power because they don't have right. any property. And mm-hmm. so like, they're only... The, the thing that the government at that time could come for was their children. Right. And um, we don't see that exact uh, parallel today, but I think the principle underneath gives us the same thing that like the reason equity is so important is because if equity, if power is not dis- distributed equally or properly, then those without power will always be the ones taken advantage of. Right. Yeah, you know, you're so right. Like the uh, that's really interesting because I think I kind of missed this part here which you're absolutely right that they are selling these people off into slaves, but the people who are called out about it are the nobles and the officials. Mhm. Wow, that's so good. Yeah, and um and yeah, I, I just this the I love what you said. You mentioned was it was it Glory who mentioned uh mm-hmm. the, the community de- development. Yes. I love that so much because I really do think the more I think about it now, I'm like, oh yeah, I totally see that. Right. Um, all over the place in this book, you know? Well, one thing I see, and I'll, I'll just hit a couple, a couple points on this. Nehemiah 7, he appoints guards and assigns them to post in front of their own homes. And I'm like, there it is, local leadership. Yep, um, policing. Exactly. Then you've got um, 
you've got in Nehemiah 11, the people who voluntarily offered to live in Jerusalem. So you see them like they move in and they're like moved into the neighborhood and invested in that way. Um, They, there's just so many things that are just so good. I I love this too, where um, in (laughs) Nehemiah chapter eight, after um, Ezra reads from the book and then Nehemiah sends them home and says, you know, go home and prepare a feast. Mm-hmm. And uh, it says the people went off to feast, eating and drinking and including the poor in a great celebration. Mm-hmm. Now they get it. Now they understand the reading that's been given mm-hmm. to them. And right. I, I just think it's like, yeah, they totally get it. They totally understand mm-hmm. it. And I, um, they, they understand that the poor have to be included. That's right. um, and uh, yeah, I just... I I really love that. Um, I really love that that is the the vision for God's restored city includes the poor. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, I think one of the things that Nehemiah teaches too, and this is something that has been said in evangelicalism for so long, but it has not mm. been practiced, is the the and kind of what you and I are demonstrating is the need. To tr- for the people of God to truly be governed by scripture. Right. And that's going to sound cliche. It's going to sound like, oh, you've heard that before. One of the things Nehemiah does is when they, when he, when they kind of rediscover the law, uh-huh. right? actually uh, it might not be, I think it was Ezra. I'm sorry. I think it was Ezra because Ezra is the reader of the law. I'm pretty sure. Um, but it says, you know, there it's in, uh, chapter eight says, you know, they read out of the book of the law of God, translating and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was read. And this is so important because the reason, the reason the people of God are continually falling into all these atrocious things, whether they're being subjected to it or they're perpetrators of it is because they're not being governed by God's law. Right. Mm, yeah. And I remember I had a I had a conversation um, with uh, my current pastor now, and he was just he was just stressing the the importance of policy in local churches mm. and having like having great policies in place so that the congregation is not subject to the you know every, the every whim of a leader, right? Because yeah. there are so many churches in our country who have fallen into systems of abuse and different things because there's no policies in place. And, and, and so, so, for example, you know, there are churches that uh, have no policies, but their leader is phenomenal. So it's like they trust him. He's not really going to do anything crazy. Right, right. right. But then what happens? What, what happens when he's gone? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so this is why the law is so important, because what God is saying is no matter who's in leadership, this is the standard of, of flourishing, hmm. right? And, and of right living and of community restoration. That's why right. uh, when you see that when you, before the captivity, when you see the, the different kings, the reason it was always back and forth is because the law was not what governed Israel. That's why every other right. king was, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He did what was wicked in the sight of the Lord. You know, and it's just like the leadership is back on whether that person has good character or not. But you, you can't depend on that, you know? 
That is so right. <laughs> I that I mean, I, I love that you brought that out because God, like God is just everything about how God has like designed the way his like his church and his people are supposed to work is set up in ways that just protect the vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And there is so much vulnerability if you're just dependent on the personality and like charisma right. or whatever of one leader. Right. We have to have, we have to have that stability that comes from like the word of God, the word of God, the word of God. Like, what does God say? How does God say we handle this? Mm-hmm. So I just, I, and I think you see that in just the, that it's so striking to think about how central the word is to the work of restoration. Mm-hmm. Like they just can't even understand like what it is that God, like what they're supposed to be doing until they like hear it and they right. hear this vision that God has for them. And I, I think it's just, I think it's just amazing. I love too that it, <laughs> the message puts it this way. It says Ezra, the priest brought the revelation to the congregation, which was made up of both men and women, everyone capable Ooh. of understanding it. Ooh, hey, what, what, what passage was that again? And Nehemiah 8. All right. So, I got I to gotta remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> so it's super good. So, so Miriam, before we get off here, what is, right. what is, what's a major takeaway or maybe encouragement you'd give from mm. who's reading these books? Yeah. Um, I, I think just seeing the commitment that God has to the work, um, mm. commitment that God has to restoration. And there mm. are so many th- places where you see that this could go wrong, where are they going to get the powers that be to cooperate? Um, although mm. it is really interesting. There is one point in Ezra where they do start without permission, <laughs> which <laughs> I think is really interesting from kind of a community development perspective, but, mm. um, but just seeing how God is at work in, this like foreign leadership god Mm -hmm. um intervenes and like supports them so many times they they are able to do this work together god sends like the word god puts the vision in their heart and just i think really understanding that like the strength for this type of work comes from god's commitment to this work yeah if you try to get your strength for ministry from any other place but god's commitment to the people god's commitment to the neighborhood you're just going to burn out. Um, we have a sign that hangs up in our uh, Rose Bowl Community Center, and it says, God so loved the neighborhood. Mm. And I need that reminder every day because I don't have enough in me to keep going in the work. But I can partner with God who is so committed to the work. And it is he, him, who strengthens us uh, to do this work. So. What about you? Yeah, I was gonna. I was. I'm probably just gonna echo what you said. Um, I, I would. I would say that God is committed to restoration, and and mm. um, in systems and individuals. You know. Yes. Yes. Um, there are a lot of people who are just going through it. I mean, they're just going through hell. You know. Yeah. And they're wondering, like, is this gonna get better? Right. And I think Nehemiah and Ezra say. Um, maybe not perfectly, maybe not in our timing, right? But it will get better, and and God uh, will restore that which was lost. That's why I love this story. Is is mm-hmm. you know, I mean, how 
how depressing must it have been to for 70 years be in captivity for people have been in captivity absolutely and then one day boom it's like mm-hmm. an explosion happens in the heart of king cyrus god puts on his heart and that's what i'm praying for in the lives of individuals and in, in, in the lives of um systems uh in our country because they're like i said before there are just times where i'm like god we're just going to destroy ourselves this right is, this is the end right. and um who knows what will happen but uh, i really do see at least within the church i see a restoration happening mm-hmm. and uh and the powers of darkness i can just see them fighting against it in so many clear ways mm-hmm. um i mean books and literature that are written on some of the topics that we've talked about and just the backlash right right against against just these beautiful works that these people are writing trying to be faithful and uh it's the powers of darkness fighting against it and you just uh yeah they're 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 harassers (laughs) right right kind of like you were saying yeah but God is God is going to keep doing the work because it is right. He is so committed to it. He's so yeah. committed to new creation. He's so committed to restoration. So, yeah, super encouraging to talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Take care. You too. All right. Bye. Hey, friends. It's Cody again, and just kind of wanted to conclude this episode with. Uh, a thank you to, to all you who listen to us faithfully and who support us and encourage us. And uh, we're so sorry we've been gone the whole summer, but we're back. And we're just so excited to be able to record again with each other, uh, Miriam and I. And just wanted to kind of give you a preview of our next episode. The next episode we'll do is on the book of Esther. And the reason I kind of wanted to conclude with this because I wanted to prepare you uh, for when we talk about Esther. Uh, when Miriam and I go through this book with you guys next time. You're going to see some things you probably haven't seen before. You're going to see some things that the book of Esther uh, will talk about that you don't normally see in movies, uh, certain books, certain curriculum written, uh, even certain cartoons or TV shows that have been written with different Bible characters, including Esther. And we're going to bring Esther to you in a raw and and kind of unfiltered way to to show just kind of what Esther is really up to, what this book is really about, and what God is doing in Israel at this time. So if you join us next time, we would love that. Thank you so much for joining us for the That I May See podcast.